The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Begin this time together. I want us to uh, want to talk about why I'm going to pre- preach this real short series. It's going to be two sermons, okay? Um, I've been writing. And it's taken me a little, taking me a lot of time, not a little time, but I've been writing this uh, this pod, this article, and it's called what I. It looks like it's called "What Is Your Job Experience," but it's not. It's really built off of of a. Uh, off this sermon, uh, well, kind of what I'm preaching on. It's what is your Job experience, and uh, and I've been, I'm writing from a very personal perspective and and trying to come from that aspect of of explaining to others uh, how to how to not only deal with tragic circumstances or hard times, but to really work through those things. What are the emotions behind it? What are what are the struggles that someone has? What are what are the things that worked out? What are the things? What are we to do as Christians? What's the difference between a Christian and someone who is not a Christian when it comes to these things? And uh, as I've done that, I wanted to really look at it. So I've I've kind of broken it down, and this is the first thing. Okay, this is the first aspect. If there's anything I can show you tonight, or I can teach you tonight. The first aspect of responding to tragic circumstances. But let's read. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1 tonight. If I ever had a chance, really, for us to understand what it means to love our neighbor as well, this is a great passage of scripture uh, to look at. But let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1. You ready? Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, the Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had, survived, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray you. Pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of of the people of Israel. Sorry, I lost my place. People of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. 
They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And he says he was a cupbearer to the king. We're not going to talk about how he was a cupbearer to the king yet, but I will allude to it at the very end. So how are we, to understand responding, how are we to respond to the tragic circumstances? And here's first. Hopefully all this will work out and you'll see everything clearly. It says, first, we must be attentive to circumstances before we can respond to them. <coughs> Excuse me. We must be attentive to circumstances around us before we can even respond to them. Now, when Nehemiah, in our theme passage, when he comes to talk about this, what does he do? He asks how everybody's doing from the exile, and that's when he receives the report. See, often, often, we don't focus on our surroundings. We're, focused, we're so focused on ourselves, and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, right now, in the condition I work, where I'm working, um, it's really sad. It's really sad. Some circumstances are really are disheartening to me because many people are are concerned about themselves. They want to keep from getting sick. They want they do all these things. They put masks on, they glove up, and they do all these kind of things. And then we go out to the parking lot and guess what? They left their mask and their gloves in the inside the shopping cart for me to pick up. They're not concerned about you know, they, they need the place to shop. They need the place to go to. They are glad we're open. But they're not thinking about anyone but themselves, are they? They're really not. And with all the hysteria, it's really not about you. It's not about whether you need toilet paper. I need all the toilet paper in the world. I mean, I don't know what's happening, but I have not heard of any, any mass expulsion from the body and needing extra toilet paper. But people need toilet paper for some reason. And, and some want to take it all. And now... You know, and so it's a big deal. Or all the water. I mean, I don't know, but my tap, I mean, most people's taps still are running. But they, they're, they're hoarding water. They they hoard all these things. They You, you have small, these, these grocery stores are now having to limit you. You only have four cans of can, four cans of food and only over that type. Because people are just taking cases out and taking cases out. And we talked about it that, you know, honestly, the most love, one of the most loving things when we talked about it last week that you could do is be prepared already. All right. Well, we must be attentive to circumstances. And so how do we do that? Galatians 5 tells us, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why, why would I even begin, you know, why would I even begin to talk about, about it? Well, here's the aspect. To be attentive means we are actively looking and listening to the circumstances around us in tragedies. I have a habit. When I, there, I have a, I don't know if it's a fault or or whether it's good or bad always, but when I see something happen 
I seem to always gravitate toward it. I mean, we kind of were coming home one night. Uh, from we were coming home from we'd gone to the chiropractor, or whatever. We were on our way late, on our way home, and there was a car wreck. And I'm gonna run right to it. I don't know why. Um, I, I have a habit of that in my past. But one of the things is is always being attentive, listening, watching the circumstances. We're not to use our freedom in Christ right now or our freedom in Christ ever just for opportunities to what? To just to, to build up our flesh or to benefit our flesh. But we need to look at it as opportunity to show the love of Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, it goes on in verses 6 through 10. It says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, and here's the thing, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. As that means for us to have opportunity, what we have to notice, we have to be aware, we have to be attentive, right? And this is one of those things that have always kind of haunted me, or this thing. How many opportunities, because we are so self-absorbed in what's going on in our own lives and what's going on around us and what's so important to us, that we don't notice the opportunities Christ gives us? They're all around us. I mean, I had someone say to me, I guess it was this week or last week, but they were talking about, about the, the thousands upon thousands that are going to die from this disease. And I said, you know, it's really interesting because about 3,000 to 4,000 babies are murdered every day through abortion in this country, and we don't seem to get upset about that. We're talking about in a month's time about the same amount of people that could die from this disease in our country at most. And we don't care. We don't see. So the thing is, is we have to be attentive to all things. We need to be ready to respond from a biblical perspective. But we need to look at every, as we have opportunity to speak, to love, to care, to share, to do. We've got to be ready and attentive, seeing and hearing those things. Yes, Nehemiah is going about his daily duties as a cupbearer to the king. But honestly, when they come and he asks, how are the survivors doing? He could have said, well, well, they're still alive. He didn't. And this is what happens. Our first response when we are attentive and we are listening, we are seeing our first response, number two, ought to be brokenness. I can't tell you how many times throughout Scripture, especially if you want to say that you are as a follower of Christ, you follow Christ's example, I want you to think of this. How often, okay? How often did Christ look at a crowd and he is gut-wrenched, heartbroken with compassion for them because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're helpless. Our first response to any circumstance when we see it, especially tragic circumstances, ought to be brokenness. To look at the way that we might empathize and sympathize with others. 
In that passage, it says in verse 4, our theme passage, it says right there, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. He heard the state of the people. And he says, well, he didn't say, well, it stinks to be you. He's broken. I'm reminded in Romans chapter 12, it, and this is why I, I bring passages up and I, and I come back to them. Because it, when we talk about loving our neighbor, and when we talk about being loving as we've been loved by Christ, when we talk about the example that we set, love has to be, this is probably the beyond 1 Corinthians, uh, I think 13, and talking about love is patient, love is kind. Beyond that, this passage in Romans 12 is probably the next thing to it. Now listen to what it says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. I mean, have a hatred for what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That would be great if we stopped there, right? We ought to look after the church. We ought to look out after believers. We ought to be looking after, after the household of faith. Absolutely. Let's, listen, let's look, go on. What does it say? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. That means don't be abundantly prideful, but associate with the lowly. So guess what? Instead of our, our response right now is instead of, of come out from them and be completely separate from them, we ought to be looking for the moments, the opportunity to really be ministering, ministering to the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, it's not saying be pacifist. That's not what it's telling. That passage is not saying be a bunch of pansies when it comes to things and let people run you over. But ultimately, you don't have to fight your own battles. God will fight for you. But there's going to be a time and circumstances, yes, you might have enemies who will tear you down, but those same enemies might find themselves in need. And when they are in need, 
Instead of rubbing in their faces, I told you not to mess with me. You shouldn't mess with God's people. Instead of doing that, what do we do? We feed them. We water them. We give them, we give them something to drink. We take care of them. And we don't do it, unfortunately, as I grew up. You do these things and you heap coals on their head. It's not so that we heap coals on their heads. It's not that. We do it because we love God. And in doing so, they might be ashamed for maligning God's people. They might be. And even if they're not, we still honor the Lord by serving and loving one another. Not just the household of faith. That means even those pagans out there in the world. Thirdly, our brokenness, this is the big one. Here's the big one. Our brokenness is followed by repentance for both our sin and the sin of our nation. Our brokenness is followed by repentance for both our sin and the sin of our nation. I will read that theme passage to you. I want you to write that down tonight. I want to read it to you again for a reason. I want you to hear what Nehemiah says. And we're going to talk after this in the next last two points is about repentance. But Nehemiah said this, And I said, O God of, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive, your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing, listen to this, he says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And what? Which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. It's important right now because so many of us are talking about it. There's so many talking heads on social media and there's so many pastors out there preaching that this illness and these things are really nothing more than a judgment of God upon the people of this nation. But I will say this. God calls His reign to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. We are both going through this at this time. And one of the things that I'm reminded of is when tragedy strikes and when circumstances are tragic, the one thing we need to know, know and be broken by them, but we personally need to repent of any possible sin that we have in our own lives that brings about this just judgment of God. We need to also be talking about and praying, and, and guess what? We can confess the sin of the church, the people of God who are supposed to be falling hard after him. And we need to be doing that. And we need to be confessing our sin. We ought to be before a holy and living God. We ought to confess the sin of, of the church abroad. And also, we ought to be confessing the sins of this nation. As it was once, was once said, is what the, the culture is what the church externalized. The condition of the church externalized. Our brokenness is to be followed by repentance, but not only personally for our sin, but also for the sin of the nation. It's not just for the nation, but also for our sin. It's not just for the sin of those pagans out there that someone might say, but it's for the sin of all men. In James 5, 13, it says, If any one of 
is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, social distancing doesn't work for that one. But faith does. But it's not just about physical sickness. He said, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, interesting enough, it says what? Confess your sins to one to another. And pray for one another. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great has great power as it is working. I saw someone foolishly post the whole reason why people are getting the coronavirus is because they're not God's people. God's people don't get sick with the with viruses. We are not able to get sick from it. Only if you have hidden sin in your life would you get sick from it. How about that mysticism for you? That sounds more pagan than it does Christian. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need to understand that repentance, when, when he repented, what did he have done? His repentance came before what happened before that just in the last little point what was he doing he was praying and fasting wasn't he in his brokenness he was focusing on the reality of of standing before a holy god and what does this mean and that response what was it in his prayer and fasting he realized that it was the sin of both him and his his father's house and the the sin of his people of our nation. And that sin, their their situation was a result of what they had done. God had told them, if you if you wander from my commandments, if you don't follow after me, what will happen? I will send you to the corners of the earth. But if you repent and come back to me, what do I do? I will draw you back to myself. Let's talk about repentance real quick. Just a few short verses tonight. But A, under A, Repentance requires actively returning to the Lord and His law word. That's what I'm saying to you, right? That's what I'm saying is that God time and time again told the Israelites, what? If you turn away from me, then I'm going to disperse you. But if you return to me, what am I, what's He going to do? He's going to restore them. Remember the word you command your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through your out, though, your, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. There's an active returning to God. There's an active part of repentance is, it's turning from your sin, turning from your wickedness, turning from your ways of chasing after your own ways. And that's really, if you want to focus on the Christian 
you as an individual and the Christians as the church in America, the church abroad across this world, if there's a place to, to return time, it's time for the church to return to the reality of their own sin before God. And to be reminded of their own sin before God. And their need to repent of their sin before God. When churches are not meeting together, they're, they're being sent and focused and people are all doing things online for the first time and they're not able to gather and they're saying it just doesn't feel like a family or it doesn't feel like church. Or it doesn't. They need to be reminded that in this moment that God is separating us out or God's keeping people away, one of the things we need to do is recognize our responsibility to repent and what? And return to Him. Focus on Him. I'm proud of the churches. There are churches that I've seen, instead of having a weekly service and that's the only thing that's broadcasted, their pastors are getting on there morning and evening and they're leading prayer services and they're doing all these things. It has probably been the most connected that the church has been in a long time. And people can willfully choose to be a part of it or willfully choose not. And the reality, those who willfully choose not to be a part of it are the ones who willfully want to be entertained Sunday after Sunday. Second Chronicles, we read last week and we've talked about chapter 7. It's one of the most misused, but it talks about if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, what Nehemiah did, right? And what? Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I heal their land. This country, this nation, this, this state, this community is not going to be healed. And, and there, this community is not going to come to Christ without his people turning in, in from their wicked ways and turning to him. Praying and seeking that God would heal their land. But it's not enough to pray. It's not just enough to admit that we have a sin problem. The last point is what it comes down to. Repentance requires taking action. Repentance requires taking action. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1.11, theme passage. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Y'all know what he was about to do. Y'all remember what Nehemiah was about to do? He was fixing to go before the king and ask for permission to go over to the city and what? To not only check on his family. He asked the king for for ability to go through and for safe travel. He asked the king if he could use his force to rebuild these things, to cut the trees down the king's force, to do all this work, and the king blessed his work. It's not just enough to pray for those people over there who are hurting, those who are sick, or those who are in need, or are hungry. It's not enough. What we must we do? We must take action. Did Nehemiah face danger when he went to do those things? Absolutely. There were people who are plotting to attack and do it again. But God, I believe because Nehemiah was not only faithful for because of his repentance, but his, in his repentance, he not only turned to the Lord, but also this, in his repentance, 
he took action. And for right now, for Christians, for those who are followers of Christ, it is time for us to be prepared to take action. In Acts 1, 6-8, says, When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? My witnesses. And on Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, when you are fully following after me, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is what's going to happen. You're going to take action and, 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 and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew, prior to all this, what we've, we've studied, Matthew 10, he said, Behold, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves who be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Now listen to this. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for what? He says, for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So even in the hardest of times, even in times like this, even when govern governments are, are overstepping their boundaries, maybe. You might you might believe that as as I do. I believe that so many things are some things are being blown out of proportion. Some things are being taken too far. But in these moments, it's not for us to stand up in our flesh, but it's in these moments that we do things, and what is the thing? We're for what reason? That we might be witnesses by his Holy Spirit of his power. When they deliver you over, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you to speak or what you're to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father. Listen, I've got people all around me that are that are in different stages. Some people couldn't give a rat's rear about what's going on right now. Okay? And then I have some people that if you could give them a hazmat suit, they'd show up to work in it. Or like an ET, they come and they wash you down and do all that special go through. They want people to, everybody comes through the doors to be like that. My opinion is they should stay home from work if they're that scared they're going to get something. And then you got people like me who are trying to be careful and be cautious and be, be open uh, to be used by God in every circumstance. We, we have to be ready. And don't have fear. We have no reason to fear. Because in all things, in all things, God is able. In all things, God is in control. God is sovereign, and He provides all things for us. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.